With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. All right, it's the Monday after the first Sunday of the 2022 regular season hard reset for pft live for a couple of reasons first we welcome in miles simmons who will be my co-pilot every monday during the regular season except when he isn't and here's the one caveat that i'm going to apply here because i have another little bit of news miles i'm going to connecticut for week three and i am trying my damnedest to get sims to do the show that Monday since I'm going to be there. And he always whines Ah. about, you need to come to the studio. You need to come do the Mm -hmm. show. And I was up there two weeks ago and they were messing with me the whole show because I was in New York city and I didn't go to Stanford. And it it was funny for about five minutes, but they did it for the full two hours of the show. So I am going to try to get him to do it two Mondays from now, but failing that. And on every other Monday when I'm sitting here, you'll be sitting there 4 a.m. local time in hell is Miles Simmons. Good morning. Uh, Yeah, good morning. And you know what? Usually I don't like it when you say that, but Mike, I got to tell you, man, the last week, week and a half <laughs> has been absolutely brutal. And I'm t- it's because I don't have air conditioning and usually we don't need it because I'm so close to the beach. It doesn't usually matter. But I'm telling you, man, like right now in my apartment, it is too hot. So, you know, hopefully I don't get overheated over the next two hours, but I'm going to leave that to you because you know what? You might make me do it. Oh, I'm going to try my best. Hey, your Browns won. <laughs> so you have extra reason to be excited. And I, sure. I'm i not aware currently I'd have to mm-hmm. access the appropriate app on my phone and type in Cleveland as the location. I have a feeling okay. It's it's a nice, cool September morning in Cleveland, so you can go back there anytime you would like. You'd only be three hours away. We could hang out, which I know is not a sweetener, the possibility of you leaving hell. It'll have to be a very hot day in hell before Miles ultimately packs up and leaves. Uh, oh. By the way, the other, the other bit of news, the other bit of news. Yes. And so watch your language, because I know that you, you get very loose with – your tongue and you say all sorts of things you shouldn't yeah Yeah, it's me i'm i'm the problem yeah 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 yeah. there we go (laughs) but 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 we are we are live not just on peacock not just on sirius xm 85 where it doesn't matter if you listen to any of sirius you can pretty much say whatever you want there but we are live on sky sports nfl I don't know how it happened. I'm not sure why it happened. It used to be that there was another football show that was live because they're on the same time we are. And Mm -hmm. we got kicked until later in the day. 
And we would go glass half full with it, and we still may have to go glass half full with it again, frankly, because you never know how long this is going to last. Hey, we're in prime time. But it's kind of stale when it's seven hours later that the show's on, especially on Mondays during football season, because right. stuff tends to happen during the course of the day. So yeah. it's good to be with our friends in the UK and in Ireland and anywhere else that gets Sky watching with you, enjoying with you, giving to you while you're having your lunch. Yeah. Two hours of football talk. So I, I really am excited about it because we have had, and I still don't know why this is, and I love it. I think it's just because the folks in the UK who are passionate about the NFL are very eager and zealous about getting more information. The engagement level we get from the folks who watch on Sky in comparison to what we get here, there's no comparison. I, I, I'd say most of the emails I get are from people who watch on Sky. So welcome, good afternoon, and we're glad to be with you live for two hours every single day, all season long. Yeah, that's dope, man. I love being international. And you know what? I agree with you on the engagement from the fans across the pond, because when I've done this in the past and on PFT Live, you know, I get emails too. And I don't really know how y'all find my email address, but you do. And I appreciate it, you know, getting the kind words. So yeah, let's do it. Happy to happy to have you over there across the pond. I have not doxed you yet. I still keep that in my arsenal in the event that I need to, but they didn't get it from me. They may <laughs> in the future, but they didn't get it from me. All right, I mean, it's not uh, let's, let's get to it. This isn't the normal day where we can just screw around for 10 minutes, so we screwed around for five because there's plenty to get to. This is We need a bigger show day because yeah. we had 14 football games played on the first Sunday of the regular season, and there was an eventful outcome on Sunday night. Not that the game was all that good. Last year, 31 to 29. Last year, the Buccaneers and the Cowboys, the two highest scoring teams in the league. First time ever, the number one and number two scoring offenses from the prior year get together in week one. So it's going to be a shootout. It's going to be a barn burn. It's going to be a uh, 19 to three was the final yeah. score of the game between Tampa Bay and Dallas. However, Miles. Sound the alarm in Big D. Dak Prescott, broken bone in his hand, above his thumb. Jerry Jones says that Dak Prescott is out several weeks. There it is there. It's one of the great risks of being a quarterback. You're throwing your hand in the direction of the bodies, the helmets, the shoulder pads. Anything that they may hit on the follow-through. Lip readers out there, I broke it. I am not a skilled lip reader. I broke it, is what he said, and he was right, Miles. Yeah, he was. Man, is that unfortunate. And, I, and you know what? We've talked about this before, not necessarily in this context, but generally, when you lose your starting quarterback, like you're kind of going to be messed up for the rest of the season, unless you're the 2017 Eagles, right? So we saw a couple years ago when, obviously, Dak had the compound fracture with the ankle. They had Andy Dalton. I was like, okay, well, I mean, what? He was fine, sort of, as a starter, but How whenever dare you, you lose defame your the red rifle. Uh, well, I mean, am I what? What, Mike? No, what? No, I'm like kidding. they they were they were they were they were better than six and ten. We're gonna do that because they weren't. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so I don't know. I mean, I I just. I don't feel I feel bad for Dak Prescott because of all that he's gone through in the last couple of years to have this happen again, you know, where it's something that it's through no fault of your own. You're playing the game, you're playing the position, you make a throw, and then the defender just happens to be right there. So you end up hurting your hand pretty seriously, and you're gonna miss a substantial amount of the season. Like that, that's really unfortunate just from a Dak Prescott standpoint, but from like a larger, bigger pictures Cowboys standpoint, now you're going to have Cooper Rush and Will Greer at quarterback. Man, feel the excitement there, man. Feel it. Mm. The only good thing about Will Greer as a backup to the Cowboys, he does not fit this mold of backup quarterbacks throughout the NFL where their first names and last names can be flipped. Cooper Rush, Rush <laughs> Cooper. 
There are guys like that throughout the league who are backup quarterbacks. I think that's a prerequisite to being a backup quarterback in the NFL. You have to be able to flip your last name and your first name, and it sounds the same or better in some cases than your normal name. All the things they do to protect quarterbacks in the NFL, there is no protection for the very basic reality. When you throw the ball, you follow through, and if anyone is in the vicinity of you, you may strike them. And Chris Collinsworth pointed out last night one of the hidden benefits of the the guardian caps that yes. were being worn yeah. during training camp to protect against head injury. They were protecting against hand injury because usually that's what happens. The hand hits a helmet, although we saw it last year. It was Russell Wilson hitting the arm of Aaron Donald mm-hmm. on a Thursday night that knocked him out for a few weeks and he was never the same really in my estimation after that that's the other side of this too they haven't given us a clear timeline I don't think they know Dr. Jerry Jones last night because during football season he definitely is a medical doctor he said a few weeks it won't be the full season which got me thinking you know if he's so insistent on that maybe it will be or maybe he won't be the same because you know how this goes they got to get him back got to get him back right Dak Prescott at X percent below 100 is better than 100% Cooper Rush. I don't know. 60%, 70%. I don't know. They're going to rush to get him back. And and there is a stubbornness, you know, next man up, somebody who knows our system. Is the system so special that that's what you need? Like, is Cam Newton out of the question? I I don't know who else is out there, but if I'm a Cowboys fan and I'm looking Mm -hmm. at Cooper Rush for the foreseeable future – I'm, I don't know. I'm finding something else to do with my time over the next several weeks, and maybe for the rest of the season. Well, right, but that's what I mean. You know, like I said, if you lose your starting quarterback, like there's no real good option for that. Whether it's Cooper Rush, whether it's Cam Newton, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo, who, frankly, I don't think the 49ers would be so keen to give up right now. Like, I there's no real good option because that position is so important. And because if you have a good quarterback, it means that you're competitive in basically every single game. And there's a reason why guys are backups. So, I mean, I don't know. Is Sam Darnold a better option if they want to go trade for him? Is that really something that you want to do? It like depends on how long Dak Prescott's out depends on also like, what is the competitiveness of that NFC East? And what is that really going to look like once Dak Prescott can come back? It, there are just uh, so many unknowns, especially when the quarterback gets hurt in week one. Mason Rudolph is the first name that came to mind because I believe the Steelers are keeping him on the roster because they want to trade him. Now, There was a great note from Jerry Dulac of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette recently because it was – the Steelers went down this road three years ago. Nick Foles, the ultimate backup quarterback, gets injured in his starting turn with the Jaguars. The Steelers trade Josh Dobbs to the Jaguars. Six days later, Ben's done for the year, and they're down to Mason Rudolph and Devlin Duck Hodges as their quarterbacks for the rest of the season. So they're leery about trading Rudolph because you trade Rudolph, then Mitchell Trubisky gets injured, and it's Kenny Pickett plus whoever they happen to throw a rock and hit to play quarterback. So that's another reason why they've been leery. But that's the only guy out there where I think they could make a deal quickly if that's even what the Cowboys want to do. But there's that stubbornness, arrogance that teams have that they're going to hold it together with their backup. And you're right. These guys are backups for a reason. I mean, no disrespect to them. I appreciate the fact that they love the game, that they're there, that they're working hard, that they never know when they're going to get called upon to play. It's a thankless job in many respects because then when you do play, you get you have idiots like us pointing out that you're not as good as the starter, which is obvious, and they probably don't need to hear us say it, but we're, we're, we're analyzing here. And it's just a mess for the Cowboys now. It's just a mess. And this is the thing that I both love and hate about all the time we spend and and we'll keep doing it because there's an insatiable appetite all over the world for NFL news and information and discussion. But everything that we talk about and all the predictions we make are premised on this perfect laboratory in which everyone stays healthy. And we know 
that guys are going to start getting hurt and it's going to blow up everything that we talked about from February until September. We just have no idea who it's going to happen to. So we just assume it's not going to happen to anybody. We know how naive that is. And here we are. Here we are already. Dak Prescott out for the foreseeable future in the Cowboys season. Wherever you thought they were going to be, they're already knocked down. Well, I don't know. I mean, I picked them to finish seventh in the NFC, and I feel like that's still possible. I mean, I saw the Eagles winning that division anyway, and nothing I saw yesterday makes me come off of that. Although, you know, when you see what happened with the Giants, maybe the Cowboys will finish even further down the standings in that NFC, depending on how long Dak Prescott's out. But, you, you know, they have guys that are there that can help you mitigate what the quarterback needs to mean in that offense. And by that, I mean, you've got what Mike McCarthy called like a really good running back tandem, right? With Tony Pollard, with Ezekiel Elliott, like those guys should help any backup quarterback that has to play. You've got guys like CD lamb that are still in that offense. And yeah, they've still got some injuries that they're dealing with at the wide receiving core and guys coming back. But like there are, there's still talent there that should be able to help. But I mean, when you've got also the injuries along that offensive line, that also doesn't help you. So the Cowboys are dealing with a lot, you know, from the quarterback standpoint, from the receiver standpoint, the OL, like there's just a lot that really is not going right early for them. And that's going to make it difficult for them to really just not just make the postseason, but even excel there if they happen to get one of those last spots. Oh, and the Bengals come to town in six days for one of those massive late afternoon contests, which which has a little bit less sizzle now. Then it's at the Giants for a Monday night game week three. Washington comes to town after that. At the Rams, you can go see Cooper Rush play in person coming up in week five on October the 9th. At the Eagles for a Sunday night game. Fingers crossed Dak is back by then. A little too early to flex, although it is in that that no, break glass anymore, is it? in well well it's that break glass in event of emergency early flex option in the event that it's a disaster like this could be if Dak's not available then they've got the lions the bears and they have a week 9 bye so who who knows cowboys may be toast by the time we get to week 9 a lot of it depends upon number 1 will Dak get back number 2 how will they do with rush cooper i mean cooper rush as their backup quarterback. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers did pretty damn well, thank you very much, with Tom Brady back. So much for the 11-day hiatus. He looked the same, although although he did get banged around a little bit, did get hit a little bit, and I was told five years ago, and I think it still is true now, the arm will be there into the 50s. When he starts getting hit on a regular basis is when it's all going to fall apart because as you get older, it just takes longer to come back from it. You got guys literally half your age chasing you around, and you got to get rid of the football. He usually does. Last night it was deer in the headlights a couple of times when Michael Parsons was was closing in on him, but he still got the win. 19 points. Would have thought before the game 19 is not enough. 19 was more than enough. Right. 7-0 all-time against the Dallas Cowboys with 212 passing yards, a touchdown, and an interception. They got 127 yards rushing from Leonard Fournette. That was his most ever as a member of the Buccaneers. I think we're going to see more of that this year, more running, less passing, but ultimately the goal, winning for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so far, 1-0, Miles. Well, the thing about Brady, I mean, you talk about more running, less passing. Like last year, he led the league in passing attempts, which is just not something you would think would work from a 44-year-old. But then again, what else have we thought would work from Tom Brady for like the last, I don't know, five to eight years, right? So like anytime you're talking about Tom Brady and whether or not he can do this or he can do that, like I'm just going to side with Brady at this point because I don't really know when it's going to fall off a cliff. And I know father time is undefeated, but like Brady also has seven rings. So if the Buccaneers are going to run the football like that, though, that's really what's going to make them dangerous over the course of the season. Because, look, I, I like the fact that that's how they're going. Because I know that, you know, the offense is still pretty much the same, given that Byron Leftwich is still there, you know. But then you still have the looming presence of Bruce Arians in the box wherever he was, 
just kind of looking over the field. But it's not necessarily like Bruce Arians is involved in the game planning as much as he was when he was still the head coach. So you might not get that same level of we're throwing the ball, we're going vertical, we're doing this and we're doing that. I just I like the fact that that's the way they're going, because I think that that's more of a sustainable um, approach to their offense that they can have over the course of a season when your quarterback is 45 years old. I think they've found a sweet spot with Bruce Arians where he can tell himself he's involved. And and look, I'm sure there's value in his input, but yes. there's no compulsion to listen to him. There's no compulsion to do what he wants to do. And I remember vividly the, I don't know that I call it reporting, when it's rumors being shared by a former pl- player who may or may not know how to properly vet things, and you hear something from somebody and you just believe it's true without without fully understanding it. But when Rich Ornberger who I still think his source was A.Q. Shipley, best friends all the way back to Penn State. Shipley was on the coaching staff, was very adamant, strident about this idea that Bruce Arians was coming in and taking a red pen to the game plan, even though he wasn't there putting in the work, you know, basically semi-retired, but swooping in late in the week and telling Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady what to do, that that wore thin with folks. But I don't think Arians is a factor this year. He's there, but he's not there. And Todd Bowles is getting kind of what he wanted. Tony Dungy hinted at this during Football Night in America, that when Bowles said it was a good thing to have Brady gone because they could develop their running game, they're developing the running game and they're using the running game. And again, Leonard Fournette, 127 rushing yards, a high in his time with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So the Bucs moved to 1-0. Another thing to remember, Chris Godwin left the game with a hamstring injury. He was back surprisingly quickly from a torn ACL. They have Julio Jones, who had three catches for 69 yards. Mike Evans, five for 71 and a touchdown. So this is that depth they have at receiver. If a guy gets injured, they've got other guys they can plug in. We'll see how long Godwin is out. Uh, but good news for the Bucks, and they are on their way. Oh, one last thing about Brady. And I this was one of those curveballs that you, you get sometimes when you least expect it. Chris Collinsworth talking about his production meeting along with Mike Tirico, with Tom Brady, throwing out the idea of next year and clearly coming from the context of their conversation with Brady. Football or Fox or take a year off. I had never heard anybody suggest the possibility of taking a year off. I thought it was whenever you're done playing football, you go straight to the booth and make $37.5 million a year. But he may have a sabbatical, as they call it, in 2023 or whenever – the first year is that he's done playing. And I really think, and it's funny because especially on Sundays during the regular season, all the people who cover the NFL for a living on a national basis are trying to get ahead of everyone else. They want to plant that flag and be able to go back and say they discovered the moon. Everybody wants to know what Tom Brady is going to do. Everybody's trying to predict and report or whatever what Tom Brady's going to do. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to do whatever he decides to do. He hasn't decided to oh. do it yet. He doesn't know what he's going to do. How are we ever going to guess what he wants to do until he gets to the point where it's time to make a decision? He hasn't decided yet. So let's just let's enjoy him while we have him because we don't know how much longer we will have him. And he clearly is still getting it done at an age where no one has ever gotten it done before. This is all free money for everyone to watch Tom Brady continue to play. Let's just enjoy it while it lasts. And if it lasts beyond this year, so be it. Yeah, no doubt. And and the other thing, too, is that like even when he makes a decision, he might go back on that decision after 40 days, which is something that we already saw. But I think, you know, you look at you if you look at that postgame interview that he had last night uh, on our network at NBC right after the game, you know, he's talking basically like, yo, I. I know that there are things that I need to correct. There's stuff I need to work on. I'm not being reflective right now. And I think that just kind of really speaks to that competitive mindset that Tom Brady still has, despite the fact that he's 45 years old. And it just illustrates to me exactly why he decided to come back and play. The the fire still burns within him and he feels like he can still go get it done. And so like, man, I, I have a ton of respect for Brady for not just coming back and, you know, doing what, no, he wants to do this because he still wants to win and he believes that he can. And I don't know until he believes that he can't anymore, maybe he's just going to keep playing and we'll see, you know, it's Tom versus time, right? So far Tom's winning. Well, and I was surprised he even did the post game interview because a lot of times it's Brady (laughs) straight to the locker room 
So you get Leonard yeah. Fournette or Mike Evans or somebody else. He could be in. I don't want to psychoanalyze the guy, but what the hell? He could be in. I'm going to enjoy everything that, about this. Oh, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't want yeah, to, but yeah, I feel I compelled to. He's sure. in, I believe, Miles. I'm enjoying everything about this because I don't know how long it's going to last. And and I think that's that's the right take. He doesn't know, so we can't even begin to know. Because I saw the Sunday Splash reporting yesterday. It, oh, it's going to be as people people think it will be his last. Well, who cares what anyone thinks but him? You know, <laughs> I think it'll be his last year too. But I don't know, and we're just going to sit back and enjoy it. You were able to sit back and enjoy a long game, a very long game, a game that almost went the full 70 minutes, 60 plus 10 between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals. This was this was just exhausting. I can't imagine how the players felt. It was exhausting to watch this one. Steelers get the 23-20 win late in overtime. Let's have a listen to Mike Tomlin coach the Steelers on the challenges of playing the defending AFC champions. Man, you playing Joe Burrow and company, <laughs> you better get the ball some. They're not punting a lot. That's just a function of how some of these high-powered offenses and top-notch quarterbacks are. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. That is absolutely correct and uh, caught me in mid-drink there. Almost. Almost. No product placement today. We had a little Red Bull product placement last week. No product placement Ooh. yet for what I may or may not be drinking this morning. Ooh. There is no alcohol in it, at least not yet. I have not yet to drop any of that in. Um, hey, th- this Jeez, is a Steelers Mike. mindset. Find a way to win. Find a yeah. way to win. Score more points than the other team. There's your analytics, folks. Score more <laughs> points than the other team. That's the way Mike Tomlin approaches football. And when they're playing a team with a high-end offense – we got to be opportunistic. We got to make things happen our way. We got to find a way. And God love them. I, I, I mean, they, the Bengals had multiple chances to win that game. Yeah, they and they, they, they never seized it. And it felt like nobody wanted to win that game. I thought we were going to have a pair of 2020 ties to start the season between Houston and Indianapolis and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. But ultimately, Chris Boswell made a 53 yarder in overtime to win the game after each kicker missed one and uh, and a missed extra point from Evan McPherson. Uh, hey, right no, there. that's not a miss. Set that's a block, game. baby. Well, it's a block. Give, a block. Give, give Minka right. Fitzpatrick his props. Yeah, that's a block. That ain't a miss. That's right. a block. Yeah. I sit corrected. Minka Fitzpatrick got it done and, uh, and, and sent the game to overtime. This is one that, oh, man, that, that just, that should have been made. Evan McPherson misses it and uh unbelievable just it was just unbelievable here's an opportunity for uh, chris boswell and it looked like it was going and it clanged it, it looked like it it had that you know how those those kicks move in the air like they meant to do it it looked like yeah. he was doing the the guided missile and then it 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 rejected and uh and went off the upright but he had a chance to redeem himself 53 yarder to win it um look i i i I am the blind squirrel today that is eating an acorn. Ignore all my other selections for the day. I picked the Steelers to win the game 23-20, not in overtime, not after, not after everything that we saw. And I thought they were going to win in handily. They tried to blow it. They were up 17-3. They tried yeah. to blow it, and they hung in there. This was just a classic, gritty, grinded-out Pittsburgh Steelers win over a better team. I mean, that's the reality. If you're a Bengals fan out there today, Jason Garrett made this point last night. Take solace in the fact that you had seven sacks and five turnovers and still almost won the game. The Bengals are going to be fine. This was just one of those days where, just like the Steelers last year when they went into Buffalo, all hands on deck, found a way to win. They go into Cincinnati, all hands on deck, Miles, find a way to win. Well, look, this is one of the things that Mike Tomlin does, right? That defense is going to be ready week one. 
And part of it is that they have, well, they had TJ Watt, right? And when TJ Watt comes out and he's playing like a house of fire as he is, and when Minka Fitzpatrick comes out and he's playing as a house of fire as he is, and that defense already has the cohesion from playing together, not just, you know, last year, year before, also a little bit in the preseason, I think that kind of helps. And I don't necessarily agree with playing dudes in the preseason that you will need over the course of an 18-week season. But then when you see what happened yesterday with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the way that they were able to frustrate Joe Burrow, to get into the backfield with Joe Burrow, to really disrupt the timing of so many different things, you understand why Mike Tomlin takes the approach that he does. Right. And so now, you know, like that's just it's just what the Steelers do. It's just what I expect to see from the Pittsburgh Steelers coming out there to start the season. They don't blink, as Mike Tomlin loves to say. Right. They just don't do it. And whenever they needed a big play, they were able to get it in order to win the game. I mean, that that Minka Fitzpatrick block extra point. I mean, and I understand that they were holding, there were uh, snap hold issues because of the operation. Somebody gets hurt, you know, over the course of the game. But like, that's a huge, huge, huge play. And I, I just think it speaks to the attitude, the culture that Mike Tomlin has established there in Pittsburgh over such a, a long period of time. Yeah, I mean, in a moment where everyone on the Steelers sideline and on the field had every right to feel a little deflated because the Bengals had had tied the game up. Finally, after trying and trying and trying, they tie it up. All they got to do is kick the extra point and they win the game. Minka Fitzpatrick rejects any such vibes and goes and takes care of business and blocks it and sends it to overtime and 10 minutes later almost of playing time, the Steelers get the victory. You mentioned the T.J. Watt injury. It was a, it was a useful day for lip readers between Dak Prescott saying, yeah, I seriously. broke it, and T.J. Watt coming off the field saying, I tore it. Now, they didn't do an MRI yesterday. They have no idea the extent of the injury. Clearly, they're concerned there's a tear. Could it be a partial tear? There's hope, I'm told, that it's a partial tear, not a full tear. He could be back. Even if it's a full tear, they're thinking he'll be back at some point this year, maybe for the postseason, if they can make it, although it's harder to make it without T.J. Watt. But Alex Highsmith... The bookend outside linebacker had three sacks yesterday. Helps to have T.J. Watt on the other side to get in position to get the sacks. Malik Reed steps in. We've seen this, though, from the Steelers. This is more of a 90s vibe, but you take out one of those pass rushes, you plug another guy in, and everything's fine. And here's the other reason why. Here's the other reason why I think they'll be okay. It's better to have T.J. Watt, obviously. I think they'll be okay because they have Brian Flores. That's one of the most overlooked Hmm. and undervalued moves that was made the entire offseason. The Steelers have two head coaches now. They've got Mike Tomlin, who is obviously Mike Tomlin. He's not threatened by the presence of a Brian Flores, who can come in there and be the linebacker's coach. And what, what better position would you want him in charge of now than the linebackers when you've got to get them to replace the production of T.J. Watt? Yeah, that's true. But, you know, when you have an elite player like that, it, it's it's hard to really replicate that, right? I mean, I, and we saw this, I remember, last year when the Raiders went and played the Steelers. That game had a completely different vibe. It was early in the season after T.J. Watt went out. And frankly, I think you can kind of say the same sort of thing for the end of that game yesterday, Right. If TJ Watt is still in there, do the do the Bengals score that last touchdown at the end of the fourth quarter? I don't know. I mean, you you have that elite edge rushing presence. It really changes everything. And so yeah, you can fill in, you can do what you can, but if you don't have that guy out there who is that dude who is a chance to wreck every single play it really does change the complexion of what you're doing with your defense. And I I don't mean to take anything away from what Brian Flores can do and what the rest of that defensive staff can do. Cause I agree with you like that. That's a huge move to add him to the coaching staff. You take away TJ Watt, man. I, it just, it really does change the complexion of that defense. Yeah. I mean, again, it's better to have Watt, just like it's better for the Cowboys to have Dak Prescott, but I don't feel like it's Dak to Cooper rush drop for the Steelers defense. 
No. Because of the other guys they have. And well, I know, but but when you're talking about one of the great defensive players in the league, it does it does hurt. I'm I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. It hurts yeah. to not have TJ Watt, but it helps to have Brian Flores there to you know, let's say yeah, just it's the whole idea of let's not freak out. That 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 vibe permeates oh, yeah. the Steelers organization. They never freak out. They never let the moment swallow them up, which was proven yesterday by the ability to win the game. Mitchell Trubisky was kind of lost in the shuffle, the quarterback competition that dominated the storylines for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the offseason was kind of a non-issue because he didn't really do anything. 194 passing yards, had a short touchdown pass to Najee Harris, more on him in a second. 38 throws, 21 completions. Nothing that is going to have the Kenny Pickett fan club taking pitchforks and torches to the Steelers headquarters today. But it's wait and see. Home opener in six days against the New England Patriots. A game the Steelers should win. We'll talk about the Patriots at some point today. Although, if I'm a Patriots fan, I'd just as soon not, not talk about it at all. <laughs> but, you know, I, there, there was nothing spectacular about Trubisky. There was nothing disqualifying about Trubisky. It was a win, a team win, and that's how the Steelers do things. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you. There was nothing disqualifying. Um, he made the throws that he had to make in the biggest situation of the game to win it. You know, that the end of the game where he's got to hit Pat Frymuth a couple of times to set the, uh, things up for Chris Boswell to hit that long field goal, he was able to do that. So you know, he made the winning plays when he had to make them. But other than that, yeah, I mean, like, to use a, a Mike Tomlinism, I wouldn't necessarily seek comfort in the fact that Mitchell Trubisky, you know, looked like a, a real house of fire out there. Like, I don't think he did, but he made the plays he had to make at the time that he had to make. Find a way and get it done. And that is just what the Steelers tend to do. And it's why it's why I believed in them. I believe in them sometimes a little too much, but I know that that I get a kick out of the fact that nationally, you just look at them and say, we're going to we're going to focus on the talent that they have and just kind of brush them aside. You, you can't you can't do that to a team who has a head coach who's been there since 2007 and has never had a losing record. You can't right. just dismiss them because whatever they have, no matter how bad it is, he is going to craft it into the best possible version of itself. And that's usually going to be enough to compete with the teams that they face on their schedule. And again, in six days, it's New England Patriots for the home opener. The Cincinnati Bengals, we mentioned them. They, I think, will be fine, but this was not the way they expected to get things started. Raucous crowd at Cincinnati. The tickets are sold out. Everybody's on board with the idea that the Bengals' performance last year was not a fluke, was not an aberration, and they have one of these days where they have to ask themselves, was it really a fluke? Four interceptions from Joe Burrow, a career high. Seven sacks. Now, there were still glimmers of hope. They came back from the big deficit. I think they will be fine. If you ever want to catch an offensive line with 80% turnover, week one is the time to do it. Yep. And the Steelers have the, the guys to take advantage of it. I think they'll be fine. I, I really do. And, uh, hell, they may be able to go into Pittsburgh for the rematch and win that one. They're, they, this is one of those week one games, even though I say all the time, the only teams that should really be a little panicky after week one are the teams that lose at home to a division rival. This is the one time I'm going to say, don't worry about it. Bengals are going to be fine. Well, there are exceptions to every rule, of course. Uh, But you know what? I I would look at this and I would go back to kind of what I was saying earlier about Pittsburgh's defense and the continuity that they have versus Cincinnati and what they're trying to do. Now, seven sacks, frankly, to me, still a little bit concerning. And, you know, every sack tells its own story. And sometimes it's Joe Burrows hanging on to the ball too long. Other times the tackles are getting blown by like they're not there. You know, other times it's a coverage sack and things could happen or they're not happening or what have you. But whenever you've invested as much money and, you know, personnel turnover as the Bengals have up front, you don't want to see your quarterback that you know you're going to have to pay an astronomical amount of money to probably next offseason get hit that many times when that was one of the primary reasons that you didn't win the Super Bowl, right? So, 
again, like the, the, the Steelers come in there, they have the continuity. The Bengals come in there, they don't have the continuity. They did not play together as an offensive line unit during the preseason. Again, I understand why Zach Taylor does that. It makes perfectly good sense to me. You want those guys for 18 weeks, not just one week, what, what have you. But yeah, you don't want to see Joe Burrow get hit, get sacked that many times. And the Steelers are going to do that to people. They do that to pretty much everybody. It's been the story of them for I don't know how long, at least basically since I've been alive. But at the same time, that's a division rival. It's a team that you're going to see later. So you want to be able to protect Burrow better than you did in this game on Sunday. And they will. They will. It can't be worse than it was last year. And I suspect mm-hmm. that the five guys who were blocking last year would have given up seven sacks, maybe more, against the Steelers on Sunday. And, and look, they found a way to color within the lines last year. They found a way to win, even with the leaky offensive line. Never mind the fact that if Aaron Donald hadn't gotten to Joe Burrow, Burrow would have seen Jamar Chase wide open. Jalen Ramsey fell down and yada, yada. Nobody needs to hear that anymore, especially if you're a Bengals fan. But, but let, let's... I just think they will be fine. This was one of those days where, and and maybe maybe the Bengals organization wasn't sufficiently on guard for it. Although they've seen this movie before, they've lived this nightmare before. They know what it's like when you think that. Well, I don't know. They they lost the game. Something. Some. Maybe they were completely ready, and there wasn't a damn thing they could do about it. But they know that this Steelers team is always dangerous, and they are no more dangerous than when they are widely viewed as being not dangerous. Let's take a break. How dangerous were the offenses that were lacking their top threats in Kansas City? There was no Tyreek Hill. They had to take the show to Arizona. How did they do? For the Packers, who had to go to Minnesota with no Devontae Adams, how did they do? Two very different outcomes. We'll break them down next on this Monday edition of PFT Live. I always feel like I have something to prove. I mean, I'm, I'm just this guy from Texas Tech, man, that they said they couldn't play in the NFL. So uh, I always have that mindset of going out there and, and proving that uh, that we're the Kansas City Chiefs and that we still have a, a chance to go out there and win the AFC Championship and then win the AFC West and, and win the Super Bowl. Hey, Patrick. Patrick, I love you, man. You're one of my favorite guys in the NFL. Your face is on the cover of my book. Nobody was saying you can't play in the NFL. <laughs> Nobody was saying you can't play in the NFL. What kind of Tom Brady weed are you smoking, Patrick? Nobody ever said that. That's exactly what I thought. I mean, that's straight <laughs> out of the Tom Brady. Everybody says we suck and we can't win any games playbook. I mean, like, were people saying that the Chiefs were going to be worse without Tyreek Hill? Yes. But at what point? Was anybody saying that Patrick Mahomes couldn't play in the NFL? I would like him because he must have some idea. Like somebody must have said it at some point to him at some time. And maybe he's got it like framed as in his room or it's like a tweet from some egg or something when he was at Texas Tech. And like he's playing with Cliff Kingsbury and they're like, Patrick Mahomes can't play in the NFL. That's probably the only person who's ever said something like that. And I know we didn't think Patrick Mahomes would be Patrick Mahomes until 2018, but good Lord. Some of us knew in the preseason in 2017, but that's a different issue altogether. Okay, I, but, but very few knew before the draft, and those who did kept their mouths shut. And one right. of the stories in Playmakers, the book on which mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes' face appears on the cover – the Saints were ready to take him. Drew Brees happened to be in the draft room that day, and they had to go tell, tell Drew, hey, Drew, there's a chance we're going to be taking a quarterback here. They got leapfrogged by the Chiefs, and the rest is history. Uh, history being made by Patrick Mahomes as well in the 44-21 victory over the Cardinals, and I think it was worse than the score would suggest. He yeah. has now six games in his career with five or more touchdown passes. He is tied for fourth all-time with Dan Fouts and Ben Roethlisberger. He is three games behind Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, five behind Drew Brees, and this is only the first game of his fifth season as a starter. This guy is going to launch an assault on the record books, the likes of which we've never seen except with Tom Brady. Maybe Tom Brady's going to keep playing as long as he can because he knows that Patrick Mahomes is eventually – going to take all those records that Brady spent 
more than a generation trying to set. Maybe, man. I mean, but when you see what Patrick Mahomes does, especially in the evolution, let's call it, of this offense this year, it's easy to see why Patrick Mahomes has that kind of potential. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that he was doing yesterday that made me fall in love with him as a quarterback when I first saw him in 2018. I mean, he is spreading the ball around. He's making the reads out in the pocket. He's getting out of the pocket and making things happen. I mean, you're seeing the new weapons too. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling right there. And then he's got Sky Moore, the young rookie. It's just easy to see why Andy Reid probably feels like, like, oh my God, that throw, right? Come on. Who else is really doing that in the league right now except for maybe Josh Allen? He even got Fortson, the tight end, not named Travis Kelsey, making plays there in the end zone for him. Like, this is the kind of stuff that they've been talking about the entire preseason. You don't really know where it's going to go for the Chiefs on any given play, given that Tyreek Hill is not there. But frankly, if I'm the Arizona Cardinals defense and I look at the box score and I see Travis Kelsey has eight for 121 with a touchdown, I'm thinking, what in the world are we doing? You know, make it make it be somebody else because you can't come out there and think, oh, well, you know, I, let's do whatever we're going to like. Travis Kelsey is their biggest offensive threat. You know it. Why does he have eight for 121? Like they, they got to be better than that on defense. They just have to be. Well, and they got to be better on offense. They got to be better across the board. But the reality is, as Patrick Mahomes said last week, you are going to have some frustrated fantasy football owners because it, it it will be different every week. And maybe Kelsey will be the one constant. But beyond yeah. that, you got Juju Smith-Schuster with 79 on six catches. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 44 on four. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 32 on three, but with two touchdowns. Uh, uh, spreading the ball all over the place is Patrick Mahomes. And that that is the, the freedom of not having Tyree Kill on the team. And even though the Chiefs went high road with the departure, when Hill went on his podcast and started, I think we talked about this last week, spouting yeah, off about his touches and how he was upset. I mean, he was... He had career-high targets and receptions. Having that presence, having that pressure, makes it harder for the quarterback to just go run the offense. When you have to worry about Tyree Kill either being an issue on the sideline during the game, in the locker room afterward, pouting on the plane, stick up his butt, you know that, 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 that keeps the quarterback from being the quarterback. And now Patrick right. Mahomes can be the guy that he's always been and maybe the best version we've ever seen as he gets deeper into his career, has a better understanding of the offense, where the open man's going to be before he even has the ball in his hands. The Chiefs, who have to love the fact that everyone has been all over the Bills, that they've oh, been yeah. overlooked and disregarded. Patrick, you don't need to say no one thought you could play in the NFL when you got all the more recent stuff where everybody thinks the Chiefs are done. That's the stuff yeah. you should be focusing yes. on, and that's the stuff that, that maybe people will stop saying sooner rather than later. We see them again. I can't wait for Thursday night. We see them again oh, Thursday night sure. when the Chargers go to Kansas City, the first yep. ever streaming primetime game, exclusive streaming except in the local markets on Amazon Prime Video. Okay. What about the Cardinals? Let's hear from Ugh. Cliff Can't Finish. This year we call him Cliff Can't Get Started, Kingsbury with the Owen 1 Cardinals losing to the Chiefs. Have a listen. Just Practice habits, you know, having a sense of urgency. We got to practice better. There's no doubt. You can't say you're going to do it um, on game day and not do it in practice. Got to get better in a hurry. Have a sense of urgency in everything you do. Um, biggest jump from week one to week two. Last year was the exact opposite. Came out played at a high level and uh, uh, just didn't sense a sense of urgency and got out coached, got out played in all phases. And so uh, it's a prideful group and, and we'll be better next week. On a day when there are specific words I am keeping to myself, I shared some of the specific UK words we should not say live. There are certain concepts you should keep to yourself. When you are the head coach of a football team responsible for, oh, I don't know, how the players practice. perform in practice. <laughs> We're talking, <laughs> yes, we are indeed talking about practice. Not a game. When... If, if you are if you are going 
to connect after an embarrassing loss the performance of your players in said game to their deficiencies in practice and you are the guy with the whistle that's a problem that's a problem that is cliff kingsbury taking the pink slip out of the book and not filling it out yet but that's just ripping it out you know just popping it out and putting it on the table that I was blown away by that when when we started on the PFT yeah. writers text chain yesterday and I saw that come through. I mean, that in the past would be the kind of passive aggressive thing Aaron Rodgers would say about Mike McCarthy. I can't recall a time where a coach has basically come out and said, hey, you know why we lost? Because I'm not very good at my job. That's why we lost. Well, right. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's you got to turn that stuff inward like that is so bizarre. And frankly, it look, if I were a Cardinals fan and, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily, but I, I have seen the Cardinals play plenty of times. But I would be very concerned that about what's going on, because in the last two times that my team has been on the field, everything has been extremely non-competitive. Right. Think about the playoff game that we saw them play against the Los Angeles Rams, a division rival that they're seeing for the third time in the season. They were not competitive. They were not competitive at all going against the Kansas City Chiefs. And again, like there have been some changes. Things happen. It's a new season. It's a new team. It's this and it's that. But when you go into a season and you just paid your quarterback a lot of money, they've got to be more competitive than they were in that game to open the year. I mean, you, you just have to be. And so, yeah, if Cliff Kingsbury wants to talk about practice habits and we've got to practice better, that stuff starts with the head coach. And like, I think about Mike Tomlin, all the stuff we were just saying about him and the culture he's created in the last, can you imagine coming, <laughs> in, coming out and saying, Oh my God, well, we got to do better with our practice. Like, what, what kind of stuff is going on there, man? I mean, because Tomlin would have sensed it the moment that it first emerged and nipped it in the right. bud. Like, how long has this been festering? Are they just right. not listening to him? Does he have no authority whatsoever over the team? Is that the issue? I don't know. I, this is not good for the Cardinals. And I actually, I don't listen to a lot of the Sunday pregame shows. Although yesterday I was so anxious for football to be back. I actually, I actually bit the bullet and listened to one of them. There was one certain analyst who I won't name here because I don't need any more beefs than I already have, who was arguably, not arguably, We're going to figure out who it is. But they were, uh, well, that's okay. But making the case that it was a stroke of genius for the Cardinals to put the homework clause in Kyler Murray's contract and then leak it to the media and then take it out, like that sent the message that the Cardinals needed to send. Well, it didn't work yesterday. And I don't... I do not give the Cardinals the benefit of thinking they're smart enough across the board to pull it off. And based upon what Kingsbury said yesterday, it's clear to me that they got some issues with that team. That this will not be – here's the good news, Cardinals. You don't have to worry about 10-2 and two disintegrating into nothing. You don't have to worry about that this year based upon wow. what we've seen so far. And I know, And I know that – this is the overreaction. I mean, we are just reacting. It's not over. Oh, we got new graphic, too. Cliff can't finish. Mm. Cliff can't start. That's what we're going to. That's going to be the new age of this graphic. Although, if it's Cliff can't start, it's not going to be nine years deep. Not in the NFL. That's for damn sure. All right, let's pivot to another game involving a team that was breaking in a new receiving group post superstar who wanted out and got his wish. Devontae Adams, God forbid, abandoning, spurning, rejecting Aaron Rodgers for Derek Carr. Now, there's a group of receivers there that is a work in progress, Miles, and it didn't go too well yesterday for the Green Bay Packers. Let's hear from Aaron Rodgers on his expectations for this group of receivers that is still finding their way when it comes to, you know, catching the ball. Well, that's an excuse, so we don't like to say that. These guys are NFL players. There's expectation, whoever's in there, that they're going to play well. Uh, we had a lot of chances today. You know, I'm not taking anything away from their defense, but 
we hurt ourselves uh, many times, myself included. I had a lot of opportunities to score more than seven. Well, and look, the, the Vikings went right down the field with a methodical drive that resulted in the first touchdown of the game, the first touchdown for Justin Jefferson, who ended up with two, along with 184 receiving yards as his MVP campaign got off to a hot start. Christian oh, Watson, wide-ass open on the first drive for the Packers. Ball in his hands, and he dropped it. And look, I, I don't know. Hey, the more you think about don't drop it, the more likely you are to drop it. And when you've been called out by your quarterback for, you know, you, how much pressure is on you in that moment? I, I don't I, I'm going to go back to the, the fundamental difference between Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Offseason, Mahomes, all in. There for the voluntary program. Working out with his guys in, in Texas. Right? His guys aren't freaked out. Then you got Aaron Rodgers. Cameo appearance in the offseason. There for training camp. Starts calling guys out. And, and hey, I, oh, I was a genius move. Call him out. Call him out. Call him out. Well, and, and it may just be that Christian Watson just dropped the ball. But at that level, you expect the guy to catch the ball. Especially with those gloves. Those gloves. Those flypaper gloves. How do you drop that ball? That's your opportunity. What a difference that game would have been if Christian Watson catches it, runs it in, and it's 7-7 just like that, Miles. Oh, of course, because, I mean, look, that also probably changes the complexion of what Christian Watson's confidence is in himself, what Aaron Rodgers' confidence is in him, right? He did a lot of things right on that play, except for the most important thing. He didn't catch the ball. You know, you're looking at Patrick Peterson kind of flailing about back there. You're, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? He's gone. It's going to be a touchdown, except he doesn't catch the ball and doesn't bring the ball with him. So, yeah, I mean, look, we did talk about this last week, too, where Patrick Mahomes was with all of his receivers throughout the course of that offseason program. Aaron Rodgers did not do that, right? He went and he did ayahuasca, found out more about himself. Again, he's got the right to do it, but look, when you look at what happens then in week one, and we had to talk about this too. What's Matt LaFleur doing in week one, man? I mean, I love Matt LaFleur. I do. And he's been one of the great head coaches over the course of the last few years. And Aaron Rodgers obviously helps that process. But those teams have just not been ready in week one. I mean, last year they got absolutely embarrassed by the Saints. This year they just for whatever reason, we're not ready to deal with pretty much any of the things that the the Vikings threw out at them. And again, it's like, you know, when when Justin Jefferson gets as open as he was and some of those, I'm like, oh my goodness, man. I realize Kevin O'Connell's offense is new, but good Lord, you you know the dude is going to like make catches. You know they're going to go to him. So between the offense and the defense, it just – Whatever is wrong with week one, they, they've been able to correct it and go forward over the last couple of years, but like week one's not good for them. And 61 to 10, I did the math last night, and math is always yeah. a challenge for me, but it was 38 me to 3 in Jacksonville last year against the Saints. It was one of those move the location because there was an impending hurricane in New Orleans, and 23 to 7, 61 to 10 over the last two games. Now, we saw them win in 2020 in Minnesota in week one, and that was a slice and dice carve them up game by Aaron Rodgers. It helped to have right. no crowd noise whatsoever. But uh, the, the Vikings might possibly be on the right track. Before we pivot to them, though, an interesting stat. Devontae Adams had more receiving yards in week one than all of the Packers receivers combined. Adams had 141. The Packers receivers had 120. But Adams was with them last year, too for week one so some there's some deeper issue here where there needs to be a more concerted effort to get the team ready for week one at least show up in week one yeah. that is odd when you consider the guys won 13 13 and 13 games in his three years yeah. as a head coach and went on to win 13 of the final 16 last year after losing in right. week one you can't just take a mulligan every year because that one game that could have been a win is going to potentially loom over the final standings and for the vikings it was a great start. They avoid losing at home to a division rival. They're over 500 for the first time since 2019 when they made it to the playoffs and beat the Saints in the wild card round thanks to a little, it's a little, just a little Kyle Rudolph push and shove in the end zone 
in overtime. Okay. But uh, this is a fundamentally different team. Look, this is I, – I, I love going on Paul Allen's radio show in Minnesota and making him nervous. He asked me a lot because he's, you know, Viking through and through, the radio voice of the team, rose-colored glasses, everything's great, avoids controversy. And he was trying to be very positive about where things are. Well, I, I, I pointed out that Mike Zimmer's gone. And based upon some of the reporting that's out there, the Tyler Dunn item from a week and a half ago, it is obvious that those players had had their lifetime limit of Mike Zimmer. And that when you take the cranky, curmudgeonly, cantankerous Zimmer in the Bill Parcells mold, and the Bill Parcells stuff does not work anymore in today's NFL unless you win. Bill Belichick is the only one who can still get away with the Bill Parcells stuff, and he ain't going to get away for it for very long if they don't win some games. But Zimmer out, Kevin O'Connell in, a breath of fresh air, player empowerment, and an offense. As Adam Thielen said after the game, this was a quote that I saw from Kevin Seifert of ESPN.com, attacking, attacking, attacking on offense, Mm -hmm. something that the Vikings had never done. And Thielen was there the entire time. His, his full career was under Zimmer. Yeah. And and this is the offense that the Vikings need with the talent they have. Move Justin Jefferson around. He's the Cooper Cup, and he, he got off to a Cooper Cup. He out-Cooper Cupped Cooper Cup in the first week of the season. Well, look, I mean, Justin Jefferson is one of the most talented receivers in the league. We already knew that. And based on what he's done, you know, over the course of his, his first few years in the, in the league, first couple years in the league, but like I said, I mean, you know this guy is going to get his, and yes, it's a different offense and all that, but man, it, it is really, really impressive. Just what he was able to do in the first half. What do you have, 164, 168 on six? Like, that's crazy. That shouldn't be able to happen. But that's the kind of talent that he is. And I know you're on the MVP campaign for him, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But he could be the offensive player of the year. I mean, if if things keep going like that, it it would not shock me at all. One of the reasons that I put him on the MVP pedestal was because I didn't think Kirk Cousins would have the kind of year and gain the kind of faith and respect that would propel him. Now, Michael Irvin planted the flag last week on NFL Network with Kirk Cousins as his pick to win the MVP award. Can we play the highlights again? Because there was something, just the pack, just the Justin Jefferson pack. If we can re-rack, re-cue, redo whatever it is. I've only been doing this for 14 years, and I've just picked up a few of the terms. Okay, this one's no big deal. It's quick read, well-designed play. You're not stopping Justin Jefferson there. Watch Kirk Cousins on this one. A little play action, drops back. Great. He's got to move. Who is that? Who is that? What did you do with Kirk Cousins? That guy <laughs> moved, baby. He moved. <laughs> That he, he that was it. that was the most encouraging moment of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something Kirk Cousins like doesn't do under Mike Zimmer. I know. Well, look, that that's sometimes you know we talk about. Oh, what's the difference in coaching? What's the difference in coaching? I mean, that looks like it's something that Kirk Cousins has been coached to do on a play like that. If the rush is going to come by you, bro, step up. Look for Justin Jefferson. He's going to be there for you and give throw the ball up. Give him a chance. I and mean, if you give Justin Jefferson a chance, we call them 50-50 balls. That, to me, that's more like 85-15. Uh, 15. Did I just do that right? Oh, no. I should have said 80-20. <laughs> yeah, it would be 85-15. Oh, God. Columbia called. <laughs> I didn't even take though, any math even though classes you, there. <laughs> even though you didn't take any math classes, I think Columbia. Columbia oh, no. standard. <laughs> um, I but, wonder, but, the, the light probably left my eyes when I said 85. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> in, 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 in past years, though, I've seen, I've seen this so many times. You get Kirk Cousins back at the top of his drop, and he's looking and there's nothing there, and the walls close in, and it's yeah. deer in the headlights. Or mm-hmm. it's, I'm going to try to scramble out of the pocket, and no, no, Kirk, you can't. You physically don't have the ability. You're not Josh Allen. You're not Patrick Mahomes. You're not Aaron Rodgers. You can't run away from the pressure. But you can do the Tom Brady thing. I mean, he's basically the Tom Brady skill set. Brady can't run away from pressure, but what can he do? He can get rid of the ball before the pressure gets to him, 
and step up. And he aggressively in that moment ran up in the pocket, unleashed the ball to Justin Jefferson. I bet there were Packers players saying, who, like I was, who is that guy and what did you do with Kirk Cousins? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked by that because it's not something you expect to see from him. But again, when you, when you have the coaching change, when you're able to get that off season, you're able to do all kinds of things, all the installs and all that, and get more comfortable. Like this is the result that you're going to get. So we'll see if cousins continues to do that or regresses back to the mean. And we start seeing the Kirk cousins that we're more used to seeing, I guess that he's, you know, been playing since he's in the league. Well, it was a great step one for Kevin O'Connell, Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, and the rest of the Vikings team, a 23-7 to win. We will see them Monday night. There's that doubleheader, kind of two games at once, overlap, Bills-Titans early, Eagles-Vikings late. Um, all but one of the teams won in week one. The Titans had a win, but ultimately was not able to to cash in but that Eagles Vikings game all of a sudden becomes one of the more anticipated games I think for week two of the 2022 regular season let's take a break when we return plenty of wild finishes there was in the early stage especially of the day some games that felt very sluggish and lackadaisical and the next thing you know great finishes galore we'll break down some of them when PFT live continues right after this It's always good to see from- At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.